When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and as always, alongside me, fellow Pensburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last week's episode? Uh, not too bad, Garrett. I'm just kind of sitting here. Uh, took some nice to have a couple uh, down days as the Penguins were um, on break, so uh, nice to uh, not have to fret over the Penguins' playoff uh seeding hunt i guess already in the playoffs but um just nice to have a couple down days and hopefully the penguins uh use that downtime to their advantage as well absolutely robbie uh, and, and as you'll see as you listen to this podcast and we'll dive into the recap segment uh and robbie mentioned it there's not a lot of game action to talk about but uh there is some meaningful action to recap nonetheless as robbie mentioned the penguins have officially clinched their playoff spot for the 2022 stanley cup playoffs a 16th consecutive playoff berth for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we'll start with the game that clinched the playoff spot for the Penguins. Uh, we'll start with the game against the New York Islanders on April 14th. The Penguins win this game by a score of 6-3, to three, thanks in large part to Jake Gensel, whose two goals and two assists helped propel Penguins into a a an official playoff spot here. Chris Letang gets the scoring going in the first period at the 459 mark of the first Pittsburgh out to a 1-0 lead, Latang's eighth goal of the season, Gensel's 40th assist, and Crosby's 50th assist of the season. Incredible season for both of those forwards. Danton Heinen gets his 16th goal of the season. Another incredible depth signing. We talked about Brian Boyle's return on investment last week. Brian Boyle in double-digit goal, uh, double-digit goals for this season. Danton Heinen, he's had a little bit of an up-and-down season. Uh, he's had spurts where he's looked very effective and other spurts where he's, he's looked kind of invisible out on the ice. But 16 goals, he's found some, some new gear in his first season with the Penguins. Another quality depth signing by Hextall. He gives Pittsburgh a 2-0 lead. Pittsburgh and the Islanders head into the first intermission with Pittsburgh up by two goals to zero. 
Into the second period now, the Islanders answer back with Zach Parise getting his 14th goal of the season. The Islanders are on the board, but Pittsburgh still leads this one by a score of 2-1, to one, and Jake Gensel would answer back for the Penguins just seven minutes later at the 12, or six minutes later at the 12-10 mark of the second period, Gensel getting his 36th goal of the season. On his way to try and hit for the 40-goal mark, Pittsburgh out to a 3-1 lead heading into the third period of play. Sidney Crosby gets the scoring going to start the third frame. His 29th goal of the season, Pittsburgh has a three-goal lead over the Islanders by the midway point of the third period. They lead their New York rivals by a score of 4-1. to one. However, the Islanders will not go without a fight as Anders Lee gets his 26th goal for uh, his campaign, the Islanders cut that lead. It's still Pittsburgh four, the Islanders two. But Brock McGinn would probably get what we would call the dagger here. He gets his 12th goal of the season. Another quality depth signing by Ron Hextall. Another forward in the, the double-digit goal mark. Uh, and and we're, we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll be talking about depth scoring and the, the quality depth players the Penguins have as we go on uh, and get closer to the playoffs. Pittsburgh 5, New York 2, Zdeno Chara would get one back with just under two minutes to go in regulation. It would be Pittsburgh 5, Islanders 3, and Jake Gensel with just 10 seconds left uh, gets the empty netter. Pittsburgh 6, the Islanders 3. Pittsburgh wins 6-3. to three. Robbie, what are your thoughts on this game? As we mentioned, the Penguins officially clinch a playoff spot with this victory. Uh, they looked pretty dominant. The Islanders are having a down year, but very impressive, uh, very impressive performances from the likes of Gensel Crosby getting depth scoring. Like I mentioned, I'll hand it over to you, Robbie. What were your impressions from this six to three win on April 14th? Well, to start, it was just nice to get back in the win column for once after that little skid, but I think what you saw in this game was a Penguins team that was, I mean, obviously tired of losing. They were hungry. They all they knew all they needed to do to uh, get the job done and get uh, into the playoffs, and they did exactly that. An overall pretty commanding performance. Uh, the Penguins, better team on paper and better team on the ice in this game. Um, even though the Islanders, after that early skid to start the season, they kind of uh, put them out of playoff contention early, they have... Uh, really been playing really good hockey. So this wasn't a bad win for them. It wasn't just the Penguins beating a, a a bad team. The Islanders have been getting healthy. They've been playing much better. Uh, too far out of the playoff picture uh, to make a difference at this point, which I don't think any Penguin fan is going to com- complain about. Um, and I think we're all glad that the Islanders are in the rear view for this season. So I, overall, um, a, a very good win, a very convincing win, a game that they – uh, needed to have uh, after that skid and locked in the playoff spot. And just a yeah, good performance, depth scoring up and down the lineup. Uh, Denton Heinen, uh, another big goal, doing what he's been doing all year, just kind of coming through when the Penguins need him. Uh, Brian Boyle, who, I mean, we've talked about plenty of times on this podcast, especially in the recent months, just the dividend, the, the return on investment for the Penguins is, I mean, they're getting like, a dollar for every every cent they're spending on uh, Brian Boyle this season. So great, great dividends there from him this season. And then Jake Gensel, I mean, he's Jake Gensel. There's nothing else you can really say about him at this point. It's very clear that he is a elite goal scorer, NHL goal scorer, now on the cusp of 40 goals. It will take three because um, he didn't score against Boston uh, the next the next game. But he needs three goals in the next five games to get 
uh, to 40 for the second time in his career. So I think overall, um, it's just they're doing what um, they're expected to do in this game. Went out there, uh, commanded the game, and locked in that playoff berth for remarkably the 16th season in a row, which it's kind of crazy to think about. But, I mean, it, it, it again, it feels like at this point it's just a rite of spring that the Penguins are in the playoffs. And, I mean, it won't last forever, so enjoy it while it happens. But 16 years in today's sporting environment with parity more more spread out than it's ever been, um, it's just a remarkable feat. Absolutely, Robbie. Uh, I've said on the podcast a thousand times, and you said it right there, don't take these times for granted because – Let's face it, they're probably coming to a conclusion sooner than we'd like to tell ourselves um, with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang uh, being closer to the end of their careers than the beginning. And we'll fast forward now to the April 16th game against the Boston Bruins, uh, a game that didn't feature a whole lot of offense, three total goals between these two teams. For the Bruins, uh, Trent Frederick and Eric Howla would score just a minute and 12 seconds apart from one another uh, right at the start of the first period, Trent Frederick gets his sixth goal of the season, 49 seconds into the contest, and Eric Howla gets his 15th goal of his season at the 201 mark. Boston has a 2-0 lead. They ride that 2-0 lead for the entirety of the game. Danton Heinen, we mentioned him in the last game, he gets his 17th marker of his season to try and cut into the Boston lead. It's Boston 2, Pittsburgh 1. However, the, the Penguins couldn't find the equalizer for the remainder of that game. They lose, a, they lose a pretty close game. Casey DeSmith makes 27 saves. After a pretty shaky opening frame there for DeSmith, pretty shaky opening couple of minutes for the Penguins as a whole, they settled in but couldn't get that equalizer with the playoff berth already clinched. Again, you, you wouldn't like to drop these two points to the Bruins. Eastern Conference points are, are very va uh, valuable to the Penguins. They're certainly watching the Eastern Conference standings, and especially the Washington Capitals, who have gained ground on the Penguins as it relates to the, the their point totals in the standings. But, uh, Robbie, the Penguins dropped this, this close game 2-1 to one, to the Bruins. Uh, not a heck of a lot to take away from this game, I imagine. The two quick goals and Danton Heinen's, uh, Danton Heinen's icebreaker in the second period. Casey DeSmith looked very solid after a, a shaky opening frame there, but I'll hand it over to you. Uh, do you have any sort of abridged thoughts you can give to this pretty pretty brief performance by the Penguins and Bruins? You take out the first 120 seconds of that game, which, I mean, the slow starts are becoming a bit of a worrisome trend, I understand. But if you take out the first two minutes of that hockey game, Penguins played a pretty good hockey game. Um, they played right with the Bruins. Uh, Dan Heinen, again, uh, he set a career high in goals against his former team, which the team that he had his previous career high in goals with a few seasons ago. But, I, yeah, I mean, they're just the bounce. It's one of those games where when you're that evenly matched with a team, it's going to come down to the bounces, and the Penguins couldn't get it. They had a couple good looks there after they made it a one-goal game to tie it and just couldn't get the, the shot to go. So, I mean, in terms of the last couple games looking um, at the uh, how they've played and how much they've struggled, this is probably at the low end of the worrisome-type performances just because of how well uh, the Penguins really did play in this game. And that it's tough to say, and it kind of um, isn't the best feeling in the world because you would have liked to see them um, 
win games like that against teams that they're evenly matched with. But uh, in the, the sport of hockey, it's a bounce here, it's a bounce there that uh, can go the wrong way uh, that changes the course of the game. And that's kind of what happened to the Penguins in this game. Um, overall, um, these games, for seeding, they still matter. We obviously know they're in the playoffs. Um, but right now, it's kind of just a waiting game. They get Boston uh, this evening, which is Thursday, uh, a couple hours after we finish recording this episode. They'll be playing Boston again, and then they wrap up their season uh, the next week. So uh, it's a uh, it's just a a game that you like to have, but a game that though they didn't get it, you don't chalk. You just kind of chalk it up as one of those games that an evenly matched team that you. Uh, you just think it the bounces for. So, I mean, overall, disappointing result, but a good process uh, for the Penguins in this one. And the Penguins are going to have to maintain that good process and, and, and try and keep up as they've learned very recently that they've lost Tristan Jari to a lower body injury. And that's what we're, we'll shift focus this week to the main topic. And uh, this week's main topic is about Casey DeSmith and the real possibility of Casey DeSmith playing as the Penguins' number one goaltender come the first week of May when the Stanley Cup playoffs begin. Um, as I mentioned, Tristan Jari's status is undetermined. While we record this episode, Mike Sullivan labeled Jari as a week-to-week kind of injury. Uh, it's an apparent foot or lower body injury. He was spotted at PPG Paints Arena the other day uh, during Team Picture Day uh, in, in some sort of a walking boot apparatus and I believe one of his teammates was wheeling him around the ice. He was in some sort of scooter trying to to uh, maneuver around the ice. So I don't know how much weight, if any, he can put on that leg or foot where, wherever the injury took place. But what we do know is Tristan Jari is out right now. There's only four or five games left in the regular season. The playoffs begin May 2nd, I believe. So let's look at the real possibility of Casey DeSmith potentially starting game one. Robbie, looking at Casey DeSmith's numbers this year, it has been a bit of a mixed bag. He's eight uh, eight wins, five losses, and five overtime or shootout losses. 289 goals against average with a 907 save percentage. And uh, looking at his career marks, uh, he has a career save percentage of 914 and a career goals against average of 269, 2.69. So both the goals against average and the save percentage have taken have taken uh, noticeable dives this season. And looking at his last five games, he hasn't played all that horribly. He made 30, uh, 33 saves on 37 attempts against the Islanders April 12th. Out of all of those contests between the last five games going back to March 25th, that game against the Islanders, he finished with an 892 save percentage. That's his the lowest save percentage out of the last five games played going back to March 25th. So Casey DeSmith has kind of rebounded from a rather lackluster start to his season. But Robbie, like I said, with the real possibility of Casey DeSmith starting game number one, and uh, if you're a Penguin fan uh, of a certain age, you remember back to to the 2016 Stanley Cup playoffs, Jeff Zatkoff coming in relief, and he stole game one from the Rangers, and the Penguins eventually dispatch the Rangers in that series and eventually go on to win the Stanley Cups or Stanley Cup, excuse me, uh, in 2016. I don't know if Casey DeSmith is just going to play one game. He could play multiple games. But, Robbie, given Casey DeSmith's up-and-down season, how much confidence do you have in DeSmith uh, 
to steer the ship between the pipes at the most crucial time of the season. It's almost fitting that it's come down to this for the Penguins, especially given all the injuries the past few years and all the injuries were to the forwards and the defense. But for the most part, the goalies managed uh, to be one of the healthy spots on the Penguins roster. And now this year, with the goaltender being the most important part for this Penguins team, uh, he goes down on kind of a freak collision uh, against the Islanders. Um, and then we find out that he has a lower water injury out week to week and he's getting wheeled around on a chair uh, for team photos. Uh, so that's, that's quite fun. Um, but yeah, so getting back to the Smith, I mean, obviously best case scenario is Tristan Jari comes back uh, before the playoffs start. Uh, and I, I would guess about two weeks. Um, so there is a little bit of time on that front. Uh, but the next best scenario is we have a repeat of Jet Zakoff uh, from 2016. That would be the the ultimate. That would be, that would be great if he plays. I think Zakoff played two games. I think he played game one and two against the Rangers that year. Um, and he kind of set the even though he lost game two, he set really set the tone uh, for the Penguins in that um, in that series to go go out there and just. Um, take game one uh, with all the questions. And remember, Zakoff was a, I mean, he came in kind of out of nowhere there. And he comes in and he steals game one for the Penguins. And um, if you remember the uh, the next year, 2017, uh, Matt Murray, <laughs> they lose Matt Murray in warmups of game one. And again, it's Marc-Andre Fleury, a future Hall of Famer, and not Casey Smith, I understand. But Matt Murray goes down in warm-ups, and 2017 is just a repeat. So maybe that's what the Penguins need is a random goalie uh, starting the playoffs, and then the eventual starter comes back and gets healthy and leads them to a Stanley Cup. Maybe that's the formula that this Penguins need to go with. Maybe that's what we'll see uh, here in 2022, um, one can hope. But Casey Smith, I mean, you've got to deal with the hand you're dealt, and right now that's what the Penguins are dealing with. They had an opportunity in the offseason to address the backup position, and they didn't do it. Um, we can debate the trade deadline, but there was probably more at play there than uh, what we really know about with money and stuff like that, and they're already tight against the cap, so it may not have been possible to bring in a, a backup goaltender, but there was something definitely they could have done uh, last offseason, but they were completely... Uh, they seem to be okay with Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari, and that's what they rolled with. And now they're dealing with the hand that they were dealt with Tristan Jari going down. Um, never a great time to lose your number one, especially with the playoffs just around the corner. But I, I think, I mean, remember last year, we were begging for them to start Casey DeSmith against the Islanders at one point because Tristan Jari, Tristan Jari had played so bad. So, I mean, obviously the way Jari's been playing this year, you'd rather have him in net. But I think there are worse situations than having Casey DeSmith as your starting goalie. And I think that they have back-to-backs on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I think we'll see Louis Domingue, uh, Louis Domingue uh, playing in one of those games. Um, but I think if that is the tandem going in, if it's DeSmith and Domingue uh, going into the playoffs, I think Casey is your starter and pucker up and deal with it. I mean, is it the ideal situation? No. But, I mean, the Penguins want to – a Stanley Cup with their starting goaltender going down before the playoffs started 
literally minutes before the playoffs started in 2017, and the backup stepped in, and they eventually won the cup. And again, scenarios don't exactly uh, mirror each other, but hey, maybe that's the like I said earlier, maybe that's the the little the little trick the Penguins have is their little rabbit's foot is a goalie, a random backup starting the playoffs, and then uh, the Penguins uh, going their way to a Stanley Cup. So I don't know. Whoever they play in the first round, it's going to be a test, whether it's the Rangers, the Panthers. Um, I think those are really the only two opponents that are really in play right now, um, the way the standings are starting to uh, shake out here. Uh, there was like a very small like sliver of time where it looked like the Rangers – might catch the the um the hurricanes for first place in the in the metro which could have shaken things up and obviously that's something that's still possible very possible i mean carolina and the rangers both have 77 games played instead of 106 points with carolina holding uh the tiebreaker but i mean so you never know i guess i guess so yeah technically it's either carolina new york uh or florida in uh, in that first round, uh, unless Boston would uh, drop some points um, and the Penguins could make that up, with which they could with a victory uh, here on Thursday night and uh, change things around. But regardless of who they're playing, whoever's in goal is going to step up. So it's looking like it's Tristan or Casey Smith at the moment. You don't know what can happen in two weeks' time. Uh, but a crazy thing that I just noticed is that every team in the East very likely is going all eight playoff teams are going to be over 100 points so there's no easy outs um whether it's casey smith tristan jari you're going to have to beat the beat the best to be the best so uh fingers crossed that jari can get back but if not there's worse options than casey smith robbie i have a question for you that i didn't write down which is it just popped into my head as as you were talking there do you remember i think it was the last game of of last season game uh whatever the last game 856 because it was the abbreviated season last year they yeah, had maxime uh, maxime like, legacy come in or whatever yeah, his name was that was a one it was a one nothing shutout um they needed to win that game to win the division yes and in retrospect maybe losing that game would have been better they wouldn't have had to play the islanders in the first round um they could have played i don't remember what the standings were exactly last year but they would have avoided the Islanders in the first round, which may have worked out better uh, in the long run. But yeah, Maxime Legacy uh, came in. I forget how that all came to be. I don't know if that was, I think it was more Mike Sullivan just being like, Casey Smith was hurt. That's why we didn't probably didn't see him in the playoffs. DeSmith was hurt and out, and they were just going to rest Jari. And they won one nothing against the Sabres, who were trash. And they won the division and then ended up losing uh, in the first round, as we all know, because Tristan Jari was bad. But hey, I mean, I don't. If you just need a guy like Domingue or DeSmith for a game or two, you never. I mean, I'd rather take a small sample size and have them get hot for two games and get Jari back then with maybe a one-one series split, like we saw in 2016 uh, with Jeff Jackoff. Then, um, if that's what it comes down to, but if they're there for the long term. Hey, we got it's it's the playoffs, baby. You got to ride. What do you think the possibility or probability is of? And I know that the Penguins aren't known for their defensive structure, their defensive play. And I know playoff hockey is uh, traditionally very low scoring, three two two one affairs, that kind of thing. 
do you think there's a possibility if if Sullivan has to ride with DeSmith or Domingue going into the playoffs for a, a lengthy run? Do you think Sullivan kind of changes his approach there and tries to tell his guys to try and insulate his netminder and try and insulate the defensive zone, maybe sacrifice a little bit more of the offense that I know Crosby and Malkin, all of those offensive-minded players, they want to be scoring goals and getting the points and all that sort of thing. And I, I don't think any player on on the on the team is really defensively irresponsible. There may be some mistakes here and there. Like a guy like Latang may make a boneheaded decision here and there. I fully get that. I fully agree with that. But what do you think the possibility is of of Sullivan saying to his guys, clamp down in the D zone, insulate the goalie at all costs. If we have to win a one nothing game or a two one game. We can do that. They have the firepower to do that. But do you think that there's a possibility that they really actually play a defensive, a very strong defensive brand of hockey if they have to rely on on a DeSmith or Deming for an extended period of time? Mike Sullivan, I mean, if it requires that, I don't know. I think a lot depends on how confident he is in his goaltenders. Uh, is he? Does he have... Do DeSmith and Domingue have the full confidence of Mike Sullivan? Uh, if so, then I think maybe he just runs his, his normal system out there. If he thinks they need a little more insulation, maybe he does hold back a little bit. But, again, his system is so dependent on the forecheck that um, – and it's hard to believe that we're ta- – I mean, if you go back to the very beginning of the season, we're talking game one, which feels like two days ago, but we're at game 78 here tonight – if you go back and think about how they played that first game against Tampa Bay, nobody thought they were going to win that game. No. Because, again, defending cup champion, banner raising, the Penguins were without Crosby and Malkin. Uh, I think the first line center that night was Jeff Carter, <laughs> I think. Uh, so, like, it, like, yeah, it's crazy to think about that was still this season. But think about how they played that night. They went out in that game and completely dominated the defending Stanley Cup champions on national television. And that kind of was, I think, I, I mean, again, Tristan Jari was net, but there were so many questions about Tristan Jari at that time too. What was, how was he going to rebound um, after the playoffs he had? What was his, his, uh, his mental state heading into this season? And they go out there and they just blitz the defending Stanley Cup champions with the system that Mike Sullivan wants to play. And really, if they play that system, that heavy forechecking system, you can create an insulation around your goaltender because you're a possession team. You don't necessarily need to collapse around your goalie and create, to use a soccer term, park the bus around the, goal, uh, around the goalie to prevent shots from getting through. You can play a defensive game with simply keeping the puck away from the opposing team, using that forecheck, playing in the offensive zone, and limiting the opportunities the, team has, the opposing team has going the other way. Keep shots outside the dots. Long-range shots, keep the net in front of uh, DeSmith or Domingue clear, while also at the other end making making it a living hell for the opposing team to even get possession of the puck, create offense, get shots on goal, create rebounds. Uh, you already know going into um, to the playoffs, you, if it's uh, uh, Igor Shosturkin, you know what you're going to have to do to beat him. You got to create. You're not just going to be able to throw shots on net, you're going to create create rebounds, get second-chance opportunities. But on the other end, if you face Florida, 
Maybe it's Sergey Bobrovsky. You've had a lot of success against Sergey Bobrovsky in both the playoffs and the regular season. So, I mean, yeah, you can play an insulated and keep your goalie insulated type system by simply playing a more forechecking heavy system and limiting the possession time that team has, limiting their, their chances because you have the puck so much and making it very hard for them uh, to play catch-up hockey if you do get ahead. No, I love that discussion. It's, it, you know, it's that time of year when we're already trying to think, well, what if they do this? What if they zig when the other team zags? What if they zag if the other team zigs? Uh, I, I love that kind of discussion we're getting. Now that the playoffs are here, the Penguins have their spot clinched. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure we might be doing a little bit of overanalyzing, but hey, that's what we do. That's what fans do. They're, they're going to an- overanalyze and try and think of every which way that their team can can find success. So uh, we will see uh, come the first week of May what happens and who is healthy, who is on the ice. But that, that'll be a discussion for another time down the road. Let's shift into the mailbag segment now. We have seven questions this week, a jam-packed mailbag. If you're a first-time listener of this podcast, just finding us, just finding the Pennsburg podcast right before the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs, or if you're a long-time listener and you're interested in contributing to this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pennsburg podcast Twitter account. Every week we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. Uh, Robbie, as always, you'll get question number one. Question number one comes from Brendan, and he asks, what are your thoughts on Amanda Kessel joining the Penguins? And he is referring to the Penguins hiring Phil Kessel's sister as a part of the Penguins' newfound executive management program, which, uh, if I remember correctly, reading it correctly, it offers candidates with a, a specific focus on minority athletes and uh, women in, in professional sports, a one-year opportunity to work alongside uh, Penguins in, in executive roles. So, Robbie, what are your thoughts on uh, another Kessel coming back to Pittsburgh? I think it's it's a great thing. I think the um, opportunity she's being given is great, and it's a great access, uh, foot-in-the-door type um, opportunity for uh, for her and women in sports in general. I doubt she will be uh, the last person, the last woman to use uh, this avenue to get her um, start in the management aspect of hockey. And obviously, she's familiar with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's, Pittsburgh's familiar with her. Um, I mean, obviously, more than just Phil Kessel's sister, a gold medal winner, a multiple medal winner at the Olympics, world champion, anything you could pr- pretty much name. Amanda Kessel's probably done it uh, on the ice. And I think it's a great opportunity to – Hopefully, and keep her in hockey once her her playing career is over. Uh, the familiar name um, draws a lot of eyes, obviously, with Phil's success in Pittsburgh. Um, she's obviously comfortable with the Penguins, um, or she wouldn't be uh, joining them. And I think overall, it's uh, it's good to have a face in that role that even uh, young girls can see. Like she's not, um, uh, she's not just a, um, a like a token a hire or anything. She's here to uh, learn how the game works uh, from a management standpoint, uh, what exactly she'll be doing. Uh, We don't know the full details, but uh, having someone that is recognizable uh, in a position like that is really great for the game and really great for the Penguins as well. So I'm I'm really glad that she's getting this opportunity. I'm obviously Phil is deeply loved uh, in Pittsburgh and I I doubt Amanda will be uh, any less loved. Uh, during her time with the Penguins. Uh, question number two from Brian. Uh, with the 
2003 draft possibly being the great i'm assuming 2003 yeah draft class being the greatest draft class of all time and seeing how those picks turned out who would you want the penguins to draft first overall oh this is the yeah this is the mark andre Fleury draft sorry yep this is this is a good question uh, because I I had to look, go back and and look at the 2003 draft. I was only I was only five years old at the time, so there's a, there's a I'm dating myself and probably making some older Penguins fans uh, feel a little bit older there. But I went back and and looked at the 03 draft, and uh, I'm on HockeyReference.com right now, and I, I've sorted the draft class by point shares. And if you're not familiar with point shares, it's an estimate of the number of points a player helps contribute to his team uh, through, these are regular season uh, standings points, not not in-game points, but standings points, uh, an estimate of the number of points contributed by that specific player. So I've sorted the entire draft class by this point share metric, and wouldn't you know it, Marc-Andre Fleury has the highest point share of any player in that draft class. He has contributed approximately 165 points to his team, obviously the Penguins, and, you know, the Golden Knights and, and the Wild and the Blackhawks in there as well. But a large chunk of that obviously comes with the Penguins, the team that drafted him. Contributing roughly 165 points to your team is incredible. But if you're looking for a little bit of variety, if you're looking for someone else other than Marc-Andre Fleury to go number one, Brett Burns comes in second. He was originally drafted as a forward, as a right winger. I did not know that. Had to do some research. Originally drafted as a, a, a right winger, but obviously converted to defense. He comes in second with a 129.3 point share. Uh, Ryan Suter, Shea Weber, Patrice Bergeron. There are a lot of very recognizable and, dare I say, Hall of Fame-worthy names on this list. Zach Parise, Corey Perry, Ryan Getzloff, Eric Stahl, Joe Pavelski, uh, Jeff Carter, uh, Thomas Vanek, Jimmy Howard, Corey Crawford, Brent Seabrook. I could go on and on and on. This is arguably, as the question says, the, the greatest NHL draft class of all time, but if you're judging by point shares, Marc-Andre Fleury is your guy. If you're looking at total points, Eric Stahl has the highest number of points by this draft class with 1,034. Ryan Getzloff is second with 1,017 total points. Patrice Bergeron is third with 973. So there there are a lot of a lot of players in this draft class that the Penguins, if they had a do-over, they really couldn't have to go wrong with. Uh, just for the heck of it, I'll say they'll go with Brent Burns here and they'll set, they'll select Brent Burns. He goes first overall and they have that anchor on defense, which presumably they'd still be riding to this day, but who knows how alternate timelines work out that way. But yeah, it's a very, very good question. And I had a, a lot of fun looking back at how crazy stacked this, this draft class was question number three, we go back to Brendan, uh, who has the best and worst Megatron goal video for the Penguins this year? Robbie, do you know what a Megatron goal video is? No, I've only been at one game this year, and I Me don't too. recall any specific videos that I can remember. Uh, so no offense to uh, Brendan here. I do not know what this means. I have not seen anything on broadcast that would make me think that it was uh, anything anything that it would be on TV. So I really don't, um, I really don't know what that is. So Brendan, if you listen this week and want to shoot, uh, a tweet to the account, the yeah. podcast account and explain kind of 
what this is and if you have an example want to send it to us and maybe we can get back to uh come back to this question uh next week with um a little more insight uh question number four from uh, brendan again uh what the heck is a yinzer and where did the term come from i'm assuming brendan is not from pittsburgh no um, i think if i remember he's from cole harbor remember the question we got oh last that's right um Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, so yeah, I'll let you, yeah, I'll let Look, you Robbie, if you, if you want to take it since, if you want to take that question, Robbie, that's, that's fine too. If since, you know, you really didn't get to answer question three to, if you want to take the, what is a Yinzer, that's fine too. Um, so a Yinzer is basically just a slang term for, uh, a Pittsburgher, a Pittsburgh native. And if you understand how the Pittsburgh accent, uh, it's called the Yinzer accent, um, Go, I mean, just go listen to somebody from Pittsburgh talk. Go, like, there's random news clips from, like, WPXI or KDKA that literally if they interview anybody from Pittsburgh, you're going to hear the accent. Um, it's very it's very distinguishable. But the Yinzer is a very common phrase is, um, how Yin's doing? Y-I-N-Z. Uh, obviously not a real word. Uh, but, yeah, it's a um, – actually, if you want to hear the Yinzer, the Yinzer accent, go listen to the Pat McAfee show. Um, yes. Pat, yes. Pat talks with a very strong Yinzer accent. So, yeah, if you want to hear uh, a, a Yinzer accent, go listen to the Pat McAfee show. And anything Pat says is in a, a very hard Yinzer accent. But, yeah, it's basically we say how Yin's doing, um, what Yin's up to. So it's just Yin's instead of you. It's just uh, the Pittsburgh replacement for that word. So, like, it's the Pittsburgh version of y'all. So, yeah, it's just... It's just a term for a Pittsburgher uh, because of the way we talk, the way that um, the accent comes out. And yins is a word in Pittsburgh. It's kind of like chopped ham or uh, gobs. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sure, yeah, gobs. If you go outside of Pittsburgh, gobs are generally called whoopie pies in other parts of the state or other areas of the country that have them. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, what going down to uh, – the south and you had gumbo and all that kind of stuff um creek crick however that's i mean it's just yinzer is an accent and that's where it comes from um yinzers are people and then the yinzer accent which again if you want to hear a good one go listen to the pat mcavee show pat talks with a very strong yinzer accent uh but if you talk to someone from pittsburgh it's very hard to mistake where they're from if you're familiar with the accent all right, uh, another one from Brendan. Um, what is one playoff game ritual you do? I don't know. If I have a playoff ritual. That's a it's it's a good question. I yeah. know a lot of people uh, be, be anxious from the moment you wake up till the game. Basically, if that's a ritual, then absolutely that. Oh, uh, that's I mean that's what that's what I do. I, I wake up and go to sleep during this during playoff season. And just in yeah. a, a complete. Uh, I'm just a complete mess. My heart races. Um, but, but like in terms of like really weird, uh, like family or hockey related rituals, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I have any, I, Robbie, what about you? Do you have anything that you um, did or do? Not really. I will say that like, if it gets to like the final that then I'm like, okay, we got to like, we watched game one here. We're going to watch game like that. Yeah. I'm pretty like that a little bit different. Like, Hey, we're this far. We might as well uh-huh. uh, kind of keep it going like that. As for like, um, I don't do the um, uh, the beard or anything like that. I know a lot of people do that, but I don't really have any specific, like I eat the same thing every day or anything like that. Um, I'll generally on game days wear something, uh, penguins, whether it's just a hat or something like that. 
But for the most part, uh, unless they get deep, I don't really do anything special. Question number six comes from Brian. Uh, what are your thoughts on the current playoff format? Do you prefer it as it is, or would you rather have the, the more traditional one versus eight format back? Oh, man. I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of a traditionalist. So in a way, I'd like the one versus eight back. And I think it's sometimes like this year, I think it's going to uh, benefit the Penguins. Uh, they're going to get a – they're going to – Probably for them, they they could very well avoid uh, a team like Toronto. If the one versus eight, if the season ended today, they'd be playing uh, Toronto in the first round. Now, if they do slide uh, down to um, the wild card, they'll play Florida, which they'd be the eight seed. Uh, either way, they'd play Florida either way, depending on, depending on uh, what happens here in the next uh, few weeks. But I do think that in a way, it obviously adds to some of your most heated rivalries. Uh, because, it, I mean, you're playing teams that you've played pretty much. You've been battling with all season for positioning. Uh, but in another way, like, you get to see some different teams. And um, I think it could work in the Penguins' favor uh, this year, but it definitely worked uh, against the Penguins in, like, 2016. The Penguins had the second most points in the Eastern Conference uh, at 104. They played the New York Rangers in the first round, who had 101 points. Uh, and then... They played the President's Trophy winning Washington Capitals in the second round. The two best teams arguably in the league that year, uh, they played them in the in the, sec- in the um, second round. So, I mean, they played 200-point teams in the first two rounds where if they would have been on a traditional one versus eight, they would have played open with the 96-point Philadelphia Flyers and then played – uh, whoever won the three, whoever would have won the three-six matchup between uh, Florida and Tampa Bay, and probably saved Washington for what would have been a very entertaining conference final. So, yeah, I think some ways it works against the Penguins. Some ways uh, it does not. But I mean, overall, uh, it is what it is. And um, and again, like in 2017, they had to face the 108-point Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round, and then the President's Trophy winning Capitals in the second round. A normal one versus eight, they would have faced the 95 point uh, Bruins uh, in the in the first round, and that well, which may with the way the way they play the Bruins, it may have been better playing Columbus. Um, and then uh, in the second round, they would have played the winner between. Then they would have played the winner between uh, either Columbus or Ottawa. So I I mean I think it I the one versus eight definitely gives you a look at some different teams, whereas. This divisional match, the divisional setup gives you basically just fuel on the rivalry fire. But I, I don't hate it with a burning passion like some people do. And then Brian, with our seventh and final question, with Sid and Obi crossing the 1,400-point mark in the same week, I can't help but wonder what Crosby could have done with Obi's durability. Uh, he was robbed in his peak years. Yeah, he definitely was robbed in uh, – boy, that's crazy to think how it was – uh, 10, a little, it was over 10 years ago now, uh, how crazy time flies and what could have been for Crosby. He, I know he was on that torted pace in, in, I think it was the 2010, 2011 season. He was on perhaps what could have been his, his best ever season, uh, had he, had he not, uh, lost all of that time due to the concussion. So looking at Crosby's career, uh, he has 14, uh, 1,405 points in 1,103 games played. 
Ovechkin has 1,410 points in 1,272 games played. So Crosby, obviously reaching that milestone um, in terms of games played, reaching that milestone before Ovechkin does. Uh, but that Ovechkin's played in 169 more games than Crosby has. That's over two seasons worth, two full seasons worth of, of games that Crosby has missed. Uh, at least when comparing to Ovechkin here in this sense, I'm not sure exactly how many games Crosby has missed entirely in his career. I don't have that statistic on in front of me right now, but um, if both players were to play the same amount of games, uh, how different uh, might the the points be? Crosby obviously reaching the 1,400 point mark before Ovechkin in terms of games played. So I have to imagine Crosby has... Um, Crosby probably has... Hmm, I don't know what's 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 a good Robbie. What do you think a good benchmark is uh, it, out of all of the games that Crosby has missed for all of his ailments? What do you think a good basic benchmark is for the number of points he might have accrued had he might have played every single game he was available for? I can't do that kind of crazy quick math off the top <laughs> of my head, but yeah, I understand. But, um, so Crosby for his career, I'm just gonna do some quick math on the on the fly here. So I mean, he has 14. Uh, uh, 1,405 points over the course of little over 1,100 games played. He's running at an average of 1.3 points per game. So if you add in uh, even to what um, – I don't I – don't, do you have the games played for Ovechkin? It was um, a 12 seven, total like career games played? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1,272 if I remember. So that's 169 games played. Um if you if he goes at his average uh, at 1.3 for his career, um, he's sitting at um, about over 1600, about 1625 points uh, is where Crosby would be sitting, assuming he played. If him and Ovechkin played the same amount of uh, career games, so uh, obviously Ovechkin's missed games, but never anything like Crosby has. So if you factor in the extra 160. 170 games, you're right around uh, 1,625 points um, for Crosby's career, which is over 200 more than um, Ovechkin has at that moment with his uh, games played. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty remarkable that Crosby's only five points behind uh, Ovechkin uh, for a career, despite having almost uh, two full seasons less uh, than Ovechkin has. But, hey, that's life. Again, got to play with the hand you're dealt, and I mean, it's just remarkable what Crosby's done throughout his career, though. It just, it's insane. He's 50. It feels like he missed so much time this year, and he's still at 80 points. He's going to go over probably a point per game average uh, just in playing like set, less than 70 <laughs> games this year. Like, I mean, he's already over a point per game for the season uh, with what he'll play, but he's going to go over the 82 point mark easily. Uh, so he'll have a season's worth of points and with missing. Uh, roughly, uh, I think if you play 69, uh, so what, missing 13 games, uh, pretty, pretty impressive. When we were doing the recap segment earlier and I was, I saw, uh, cause I get the stats from the NHL's website for the recap segment and I saw Crosby in parentheses with the 50 next to it that with the, he got his 50th assist already. And I'm like, wow, he, he didn't, he hasn't played a full season. He's only played in, in 64 games. 
and he had right now he has 51 assists and 29 goals, 80 points in 64 games this season is absolutely incredible. Uh, I mean, it's just we we can sit here and and marvel for hours and hours and hours on end uh, at it's Sidney Crosby's dominance and, and greatness and any other superlative you want to use to describe Sidney Crosby. Uh, boy, it's just uh, what could have been. That's basically what what Brian's question was, what could have been, we'll be wondering that for years, even after Crosby is done and he's retired. I'm sure we'll be sitting down wondering what could have been. But like you said, Robbie, that's the hand that uh, Crosby was dealt. And like his predecessor before him and Mario Lemieux, he was obviously dealt a a very unfortunate hand from the injury perspective as well. So uh, unfortunately, it is the hand that these generational talents were dealt. But nonetheless, they still managed to carve out Hall of Fame worthy legacies. That will that will do it. We got through seven questions here through the mailbag. And that will do it for this episode of the Pennsburg podcast. The Pittsburgh Penguins are finally have finally clinched their ticket to the big dance, and now it's uh, just putting some finishing touches on this regular season, and we will sooner rather than later start talking about the official first-round matchup, whoever that may be, whether it's the Panthers, Hurricanes, or Rangers. We will find all that out soon enough. But for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Pennsburg Podcast, and we will catch you all right back here this time next week.